Their eyes are open. Their hearts are open. So again, we want to make God's plan of salvation manifest. We want to preach it. We want to teach it. I trust that you are reaching out into, the, into your own family, friends, community. Do we truly believe this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change any individual? No matter what their sin, no matter what their history, it can transform any individual. Not only is it, uh, does the gospel say, but it is revealed. For, look at verse 17. For in it, that is the salvation of the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we find out how? From faith to faith. In other words, the just shall live by faith. It's through faith. It's through faith of what God has said that we receive the righteousness of God. Now, we're going to have to stop for just one moment and say, what does he mean by the righteousness of God? Well, again, in chapter 3, he's going to be talking about the righteousness of God and that he, God is both the just and the justifier of, that, of the person who has faith in Christ. And what he's saying there is this, God is righteous, he is just to condemn sin, but he's also the justifier because on the cross, the righteous hatred of God towards sin was thrown on Christ. In other words, Christ took the penalty for my sin. The wrath of God was, was, uh, uh, was placed on Christ for the sin that he bore. Not his own sin, but ours. But he, Christ, uh, took the fu- full fury of, uh, of, of, uh, of the, the Father's wrath against sin. Now that's what he's going to argue in chapter 3. Okay, And the reason I say that is because he, he talks about the righteousness of God. God is righteous in hating sin. God is righteous in punishing sin. But God is also righteous in justifying a sinner. Why? Because that sin has been placed on Christ. Here, he, he's really referring to that second part. That this righteousness of God has been made ours. That's what he's referring when he says... Uh, that in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What do you mean? Not just the righteousness that God is righteous and that he hates sin, but this righteousness has been revealed through the gospel to us. That this righteousness of God can be ours. How? Through the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, when you receive Jesus Christ, then his, he takes your sin and he gives us his righteousness. And it's been revealed. Where? In the gospel. Why? Because when you receive Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, your sins are taken away and forgiven, but you're given the righteousness of Christ. As um, um, Luther, Martin Luther said, it's, we're given an, catch, I love this, alien righteousness. An alien righteousness. What do you mean? An, a, a righteousness that is not our own, that we did not uh, work for, that we do not deserve. When, when you got saved, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you were given an alien righteousness. You stand in the righteousness of another. You stand in the righteousness of Christ. So that's the whole... Now, do you see? Again, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God in verse 18. Now, before you get to the wrath of God, don't you need hope? Don't you have to realize that, wait a second here. Wait, you're going to be telling us in chapter 3 that all are condemned. All have sinned. All are without hope. All are at enmity with God. Well, wait a second. We've got to have some hope. In verse 16 and 17 is the hope. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
It's not because you got smart and started doing things right. It's because you received Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin. You now stand in his righteousness. It's the power of God unto salvation. Now, we're going to move from verses 16 and 17. Now we're going to get into the wrath of God. The wrath. Now, as we come to the table in just a few minutes, we're going to be remembering, again, the power of God to salvation. But again, also what Christ took for us. He took He took the wrath that should have been ours. He took the penalty that should have been ours. And here, we move from the righteousness of God, verses 16 and 17, to the wrath of God is revealed. And if you really wanted to name verses 18 to 32, you could call it this, the road to hell. It's the road to hell. I mean, this is why we deserve the penalty of death. This is why we deserve to be in hell. And let me just read it for you, at least a few verses. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what, they, what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now underline Without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore, Because of all that happened, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who changed the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of of what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And if you want to know what are not fitting, then you can just read from verse 29 to the rest of the chapter. Okay, so he said, so he gave them over, gave them over, gave them over. This is, this is the road to hell. This is the road, by the way, let me say it this way, and I'm going to say it a number of times. This is the road that you were on. This is not them, this is us. That's Paul's whole point. His whole point is he wants to make sure everybody is, un, is under the same condemnation. Sometimes people put sins and types of people in different categories. It's us, them. No, no, it's, this is us. This is us. Let's just give you a couple, three points, and then we'll break down a couple of them. First of all, we see the extent of the wrath of God. The extent of the wrath, it's, that's found in verse 18. For the wrath of God is, and if you want to say it this way, is constantly revealed from heaven. Because it's in the present tense. Is revealed, is constantly revealed. What? what? Let, me, let me show you the extent. Against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All. You have to ask, was I unrighteous? Am I ungodly? Yes. Was I before Christ? Yes. How about even after Christ? All. 
Make sure you underline, because that's the extent of the wrath of God. The wrath, against is, the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And again, it's being, it, was, it, it is revealed, and we're going to see it. There's a number of ways, and we won't have time with the little bit of time that we have today, but it is, it is revealed in so many different ways, the wrath of God. I like how, I listened to a message by Al Mohler, by the way, and I'm going to quote him a few times because some of this came from that message. But he, says, he said it this way. He said, I can see the wrath of God when I look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because everything, sin has affected everything. Everything. And God's, and God's wrath is against what? Sin. And sinners, right? So the wrath of God. By the way, the, the, greatest, uh, the, the greatest place where we saw the wrath of God revealed was when Christ was on the cross. And at the moment of that time frame, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's darkness. And the wrath of God was being poured out on the, on the Son of God. But again, we see the wrath of God in our world, in the, in the corruptions and in how it is being uh, judged, okay? Or to say it this way, when it comes to the wrath, um, as a, the old Puritans used to say, the, the gospel is good news because there is bad news. He gave us the good news in verses 16 and 17, now he's given us the bad news. But there's good news because there's bad news. There is the wrath of God. There's the wrath of God that happens now. There's also the wrath of God eschatologically. You know, when we're talking about the tribulation, that's the wrath of God. That's the wrath of Jesus Christ being poured out on the earth. If you want to study uh, hell, that's the wrath of God in eternity. Right? Forever. Hell. One of the mistakes that John Stott made when he was still living, he thought somehow of annihilation. He thought that there would be no hell, that you would go out of existence. No, no, there is a hell. And that's, that's, the, that's the eternal wrath of God placed on sinners. There is wrath. There is judgment. There's good news because there is bad news. <laughs> and there, by the way, isn't it good news? Isn't it good news to know that our Lord Jesus Christ came and died for your sin? You do not have to pay for that. So that's the extent. How about the reason for God's wrath? This is why. This is why the wrath of God has come. Who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. By the way, that word suppress means to hold back. To restrain. To hinder. And it's in the present tense, which means unsaved people continually suppress the truth. Now, they might be nice people. They may, may be moral people. But they suppress it. They suppress who the true God is. And because of the suppression of the truth, the wrath of God comes. Or to say it this way, when you say suppression, humanity is involved in a, quote, massive universal conspiracy to suppress truth. And now you say, what do you mean? You mean like four plus four equals eight? No, no, no. The, the truth of who God is. And the truth of who his son is. And the truth of salvation only in Christ. And the truth that he is the only true God. Would you say that the world suppresses that? Well, I can give you just two words. World religions. Right? But there are so many other ways that the suppression of truth happens. Now, 
because they do this, this massive universal conspiracy, I, wanna, I don't know if I left this in your notes, but one of the least understood effects of the fall, fall sin, is this. And, and you want to write this down if it's not in your notes. It's called the noetic effect of the fall. The noetic. The noetic effect of the fall. The no, noetic is N-O-E-T-I-C. Noetic effect. Do I have that in your notes? Yes. All right, you want to look that up later on on Google. You really want, because it'll bring you right back to Romans 1. This is the classic passage on it. But noetic means think, okay? We're not talking Noah, N-O-A-H. I'm not talking Noah in the big boat. I'm talking about noetic. It's your ability to think. It's your ability to process information. The sin has affected our ability to think biblically, to think at all in one sense. Thankfully, we, we still have a brain that thinks and we have a mind that thinks. But it's been, it's been cracked. It's been broken. It's, it's been sullied. It's been, uh, and because of that, we suppress what truth, truth, truth is, true truth. The fall has affected our ability to know. It has affected our ability to think, our rational capacities, our intellectual processes, okay? In other words, the fall has, has horribly affected the way we think. If it wasn't for this book, we never would come to truth. That's, that's, what, that's why we, we say many times that this book, the Word of God is what? Sufficient and authoritative. We need the Bible because the fall has, has totally uh, affected our thinking process. It has corrupted it. It has allowed us to uh, compromise truth and not even realize it. Uh, we listen to ourselves. We listen and we allow ourselves to lie to ourselves and then believe it. By the way, is our country doing that? We lie to ourselves and then, and then, then we say this, you know, uh, we'll take a poll to see if it's right. That doesn't mean anything. Is it true, right? So again, to think and to see properly. We don't, and therefore, because we don't think properly, we don't act properly. All kinds of sins, sins of knowledge, sins against the truth, sins against reason, you know, un- unability, inability to understand, okay? And that's why, that, that was one of the reasons why Christ had to come and he paid the full penalty. That's why the Spirit of God invades your life at the moment of salvation so that he will then, what? Give you understanding, I mean, if you want to, uh, just very quickly, go over, well, no, I don't have time. But write down Ephesians 4. Please don't turn there now. But Ephesians 4, 17, I don't know if I put this in your own, until about verse 20. Because there's another passage of the noetic effect of the fall. It's just that, you know, our, 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 our hearts were darkened. Our intellect was just sullied. It just, all the different pieces. And by the way, if you understand the noetic effect, then you understand what's happening in our world. See, I think sometimes Christians get frustrated. Why, why can't that politician see what's right in front of their eyes? The noetic effect of the fall. That's why. They can't see. Why do we get upset on an unsaved person who is blinded, that Scripture says? It would save you a lot of emotional energy if we just understood the noetic effect, right? We get all worked up. We get all frustrated. I know for a while there, uh, at men's prayer, we talk politics. We put a... We put a uh, a hold on that a few months ago. No more politics speaking in, in, in men's prayer. Uh, it slips through once in a while. But the point is, a lot of emotional energy there, okay? Now, so why or how or what? You know, what do you mean we suppress the truth? Well, he gives it to us. Look at, uh, again, 
chapter 1, verse uh, 19. Okay, now he's going to tell us. And, and I want you to notice all the thinking processes in verses 19 to 22. Okay, because what, they, what, what, may, what may be known, that's a thinking process, verse 19, 119, because what is, uh, may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Okay, in other words, they made evident. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made. Even as, and then he says, even as eternal power and Godhood, Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What do you mean? It's clearly seen, it's shown. But see, the sin of Adam uh, affected their ability to know. So now they've moved from, from God to the false God, false idols. Go on, verse 22, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became what? Futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. Do you see all the thinking there? Our thinking has been uh, damaged, completely damaged by the fall. Now, thankfully, as you come to Christ, now truth, because of the Spirit of God in the Bible, is opened up to you again. But the fallen world doesn't have... No, they suppress the truth. Let me just go back to 19. Let's just cover those few verses very quickly. They known, shown, evident. Again, invisible actor, clearly seen, or the word is perceived. The, and, and this is what they suppress, his eternal power. That's his omnipotence. And it goes back to his invisible attributes. In other words, his wisdom, his power, and knowledge. They'll look at, some, they'll look at creation, which he's, he's showing. He's, they'll look at creation and come to the wrong conclusion. No, it wasn't God that created that. It was evolutionary. Pro- evolutionary process comes straight from hell. You know that, right? That is satanic. And please don't say it was thousands of years of a, you know, a theistic type of evolution. No, what, is, what does the Bible say? Six days. And it repeats it in Exodus, so we might understand it. Six days. See, very, very damaging. That's the suppression of truth. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians buy into, well, it's not evolution a million years, but, you know, a day is like a thousand years. And they go through all that. No, 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 no. That's suppression. Our God made this earth in six days. All right? So, verse 21, because they knew. They knew God. See, they know there's a... By the way, there's no true atheist. I'm not saying that people don't proclaim themselves. But, but inside, at one point, there was an, an understanding. You don't be, you're not born an atheist when you're, when, when, you're one year, I mean, when you're a baby and then one, two, three. You have to learn that. You have to learn that. I mean, Paul said that. They knew God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. They became futile, empty. And then, and they're... Foolish hearts were dark, and that word foolish, that's, that second uh, foolish means unintelligent in verse 21. Unintelligent. And that's what you see in 2 Timothy 3. The unregenerate mankind goes from worse to worse. It's a downward spiral. Humanity is in a downward spiral. That's why at the very end, that's why it's, it's perfect uh, uh, scenario, because in the end, what happens? The entire world looks to whom? An antichrist. Right? We're on a downward spiral. And it's, it's not been going on just for the last hundred years. This has been going on for the last thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. I believe the earth is about 6,000 years old. For the last 6,000 years, it's been going down a spiral. Verse 22. 
professing to be wise, they became morons. No, that's what the word is, morano. We get our word morons from it. For professing to, <laughs> professing to be wise, they became fools. What does the psalm say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. See, the noetic effect of the fall is being presented in verses 19 to 22. That's the noetic effect right there. They don't think right. They lost the capacity to see what was right in front of their eyes. It's right there. You know, every sunrise, every sunset, the orbits, the perfection of the universe, how nothing collides in the other unless it's by design and how earth all has water and everything that, you know, we can have life and yet no other life out there and it's right before their eyes and what they say, not God, big bang, black hole, something else. Anything but God. See, that's natural general revelation. What, I'm, what he's talking about in verses 19 to 22 is general revelation. This is specific revelation. This is supernatural revelation from God. But all of mankind has been given general revelation. All of mankind. I can see I'm going to run out of time. I've got to really hustle here. I mean, it says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork, right? Psalms 19, the heavens. So the problem is not with the revelation. The problem, and I want you to get this, the problem is with the perceiver. It's not with the revelation. The revelation is good. I'm going to tell you in a couple minutes. I mean, it's, we, we all have spectacles on. The world actually has a separate set of spectacles. I meant to bring up two pair of glasses. I forgot. But, you know, we have glasses. And some are seeing through uh, a futile heart. And they look at the same thing that we do, and they say, no, that tree was just evolution, or that animal was evolved. And yet we have our spectacles on of the Spirit of God, and we say, no, no, that, that was the Creator's genius. Cause and effect. Master designer. And we keep saying, why can't they see the noetic effect of the fall? Genesis 19 through 22. Again, we can't see what is right before our eyes. But, but lest I leave us as victims, or they as victims, I will say it this way, we will not see what is right before our eyes. See, don't leave them victims. Because this is in the act of. It was shown them, they understood, but they weren't thankful. They were futile in their thoughts. Foolish hearts were darkened. What they have is intellectual cataracts. I remember talking to, uh, well, a few guys, a few people of recent who had cataract surgery. And the one thing they always say is this, wow, I can see. <laughs> well, until the cataracts are removed, the unbeliever can't see. And the thing is, they can't remove them on their own. It's only by divine surgery, which is done by the Spirit of God. See, God gave nature. God gave general revelation. God gave our conscience, even our conscience. And you know what we'll do? Even with our conscience, a person who is unbeliever, and they, and, and, and they, they sense wrong, and yet you can train your conscience, and you can... Uh, you can, uh, oh, what's that? What, what's the, uh, you can sully your conscience or you can, um, what's the word? I, I, I'm, sear your conscience. You can, you can, you can make your uh, conscience, as one guy said, dance. <laughs> you know, you can, or 
say it this way, Jiminy Cricket is a lousy advisor. Don't let your conscience be your guide. That's actually totally wrong. The only thing the conscience is given to for is to guard you. It's supposed to guard, not guide. This guides. This can inform your conscience. Let's say this is your conscience. This informs. But I'll tell you what, if you don't have this and you don't want God's, now you can, you can re-educate your conscience to be... And that's why you can see people say the most outlandish, ungodly things, and they actually believe it. And you say, how could they believe it? Because they've re-educated their conscience. The conscience should just guard you, not guide you. This is the suppression, the conspiracy of one. But then we'll get others with us to agree because that makes us feel better. And I say we, I'm saying the world, not we as believers. But the world comes up with structure, schools of thought, psychotherapy, counselings, philosophies, government policies, institutions, schools of religion, political structures, all these things. What are they doing? Well, they're suppressing the truth. Well, I mean, of course, homosexuality is okay. The Supreme Court has authorized it. No, no, that doesn't. It's basically this. I will call what you're doing not sin if you call what I'm doing not sin. It's still sin. And then we'll create universities. I was looking up one, Harvard. Harvard's motto is Veritas. The motto means truth. In other words, pursuit of truth. It was, I think it's the oldest institution, uh, learning institution in America. Again, it was started in 1636. That's a long time ago. But quite honestly, if they were honest, it's not a pursuit of truth, they should really say, instead of having Veritas, it really should say this, since 1823, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That's really what it should, right? They're suppressing. Unless, unless they're studying the Bible, it has to be suppression. I'm not saying don't ever go there, just to understand what they're doing. I mean, sometimes it's good to find out what the other side is thinking. Let's move on quickly. It's <laughs> the time clicks. Number three, the demonstration of God's wrath. Now, you're going to see a double, triple. You're going to see a double, triple in this passage. You're going to see two things that are repeated three times. Two things repeated tr- three times. And the words are exchanged. And the other is a phrase, God gave them over. You're going to see that they exchanged, and because they exchanged, God gave them over. They exchanged, God gave them over. They exchanged, God gave them over. Look at the first exchange, verse 23, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image and made corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, right? They exchanged. No, this is not God, an image. That means idolatry. Uh, mankind and the futility of his uh, thinking went from the true God to idolatry. It was interesting as I was studying this. Um, they say that early civilizations, when they first started, did not have idolatry. It wasn't until years later in each civilization that idolatry was introduced. So you think of like, let's say, Egypt, and you think of, well, the idolatry of the ten plagues, or you think of, um, let's say, India and the cow, or, or you, in Egypt you have the, what is it called, the scarab, beetle was it okay what i'm saying is those are images but they would come along later in the civilization's establishment at the very beginning there was an idolatry but part of the noetic effect the 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 futile thinking is you take the image of the true i mean not the image you take the true god and make it an image of what man or or four-footed animals or 
creepy crawly things like the beetle. Um, but the idea is they exchanged the, God's glory for an image. Uh, let me show you Isaiah 44 real quick. Isaiah 40. He, he addresses this. Isaiah 44. <clears throat> he talks about this guy who cuts down a tree in verse 15. Cuts down a cedar for himself. And now he's going to do something with the tree. Cuts it in half. Half of it he bakes bread, and the other half he makes an idol into it. Now he says that in verse 16. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, and I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, the rest of the log, he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. And (laughs) I mean... How ridiculous. Look at verse 20. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver his soul nor, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? That's what an idol is, is a lie. An idol is a lie. And we would look at that and say, how foolish. Take a log, half of it you, you, know, you, you, you cook a meal over and the other half you make into an idol and bow down before it. And yet we all have idols in our life. We all have other things that we are depending on. Maybe it's the idol of power or wealth or approval. The idol of health and pleasure or prestige. Sex, education, success. All those, right? Idol, whatever you're depending on. Whatever you have hitched your heart to as an idol. One of the things that, that we, even as Christians, fight against is what? Idolatry. We are worshiping beings. We are worshipful. We worship all the time. And so we have a tendency to either we're worshiping the true God or something false. As we come before the table, ask yourself, is there some other idol in your life other than the true I mean, is there other God in your life other than the true God? But that's the exchange of the unsaved man. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. That's idolatry. Now, look at what happens, verse 24. Therefore, what? Because they did that, they rejected me as God, God says. I gave them up to uncleanness. And that word uncleanness usually, most every time, refers to uh, immorality, sexual immorality. And he even says it here in the text. What? In the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The judgment of God for them turning against the true God is uncleanness, immorality. In a nation, you'll see they'll have a sexual revolution. In America, we had a sexual revolution. 60s. That's the first exchange. And that's the first God gave them over. Look at number two. It's found in verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God, not for a lie, but for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's interesting. The word worshipped means worship, but the word served also has the implication of worship. It's like a double hit there. In other words, once they turned away from, turned away from God, they, they started worshiping, but they didn't worship the true God, they worshiped the creature. They worshiped the creature. That's the second exchange. They, they, they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Now again, what is the lie? The lie is that they deny not only God's existence, but his right to be obeyed and his right to be glorified. So they rejected the true God 
You don't have authority over my life. I am autonomous. I am a I am my own person. I am doing my thing my I am doing whatever I do my own way. Okay? I mean, do you see, isn't that the isn't that the downgrade of, of humanity? I will do it myself. And I'm not going to have anybody over me. Now, what happens? Look at this, verse 26. For this reason God gave them up. Now, I want you to stop right here. Because before we get to verse 26, and this is homosexuality right here, I want you to see something. There has been two exchanges that have happened before this final exchange. See, there's two that have happened. I've just named them, okay? We found the exchange in verse 23. We found the verse, in verse 25 the exchange. Two unsaved humanity exchanges something other than God for an idol. Something other than God for the lie. Paul is making a progressive argument here. Because what I think sometimes happens is as Christians, we go right to verse 28 or 26 and say, See, God gave them over. That's homosexuality. All right, God gave mankind over to that vile passion. But there's been two exchanges before that. And we have all made those. We have all been idolaters. We have all looked and said, God, you will not have control over my life. God, I don't need to glorify you. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to even acknowledge you. We all do that. We did that before salvation. And many times we even do that after salvation. Last time you sinned, you did that. Right? The last time you sinned, you were saying, God, you, don't, you are not going to be the one in control of my life. I will do it my way. See, this is a progressive argument. But the final piece that Paul is going to say is, listen, because mankind has suppressed the truth, let me show you how wretched that is, and that is the existence of homosexuality. The existence of homosexuality shows us how depraved humanity can get. But we are all part of humanity. We are all part. And so he gave them over, look at this, for even their women, he gave them over to vile passions. That word vile is disgraceful. In fact, it's used in 2 Timothy for a privy pot. Remember he talked about uh, in the master's house there's some pots for honor and some for dishonor. The word dishonor means a privy pot. You know what a privy pot is? Okay, we don't have to go into it. Okay, the point is, some of the kids are like, what are you talking about, man? Um, well, that's disgraceful, right? That's not something you put on your kitchen table or on the, at the, uh, you know, we're going to have a nice Thanksgiving meal. Where's the privy pot? Put it right there at the... Right, right beside the turkey. <clears throat> yeah, I remember that next Thanksgiving. Um, so, for even their... Now, this is how bad it can get. For even their women exchange... That's the third exchange. The natural use for what is against nature. That's lesbianism. And likewise, men, that's homosexuality, leaving, that's another word for exchange, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their hearts for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Al Mohler said this, that this is, the, this is the only place in first century writing where specific lesbianism was named. The only place was in the Bible. It's hinted at in other Greek writing, but never specifically explained like it is here. Explained the natural use for what is against nature. 
And, 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 and you might say, well, why did they bring up women first? Because women, lesbian is always the second. It's always homosexual men, and then lesbianism comes after. Because basically, once, once a society accepts lesbianism, the women, women are the last, or let me say it this way, women are usually the last to be affected by moral collapse. Men have a tendency to collapse morally before women. Does that mean, right? Would I say that? Would you agree with that? I hope you agree with that, because that's actually how it is. Men usually collapse first. Once the women, then the society is on that final slide, okay? See, Paul's point is this. He wanted to show total depravity. Now, I've got to ask you a couple questions. Is Paul saying in this argument that homosexuals are a particular separate class of sinners? And the answer is, I want you to catch this, the answer is no. He just clumped us all together. They're not a particular class of sinners. See, you don't want to say it this way. Yeah, I'm looking for sinners. Oh, right there they are. Talking about homosexual. Or to say it this way, is homosexuality the unforgivable sin? No. The unforgivable sin is to reject the Spirit's uh, prompting of you, of a person, to recognize that Christ is the only Savior and believe on Him. I mean, if you want to put it in simple terms. So homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. Unforgivable sin is the refusal to come to Christ. Second question. Okay, if it's not a particular class of sinner, are homosexual acts a particular class of sinful acts? The answer is yes. He's putting them in a different category as far as the the act itself is a particular uh, sinful act. Or to say it this way, heterosexual sin, fornication, adultery, is against the law. But when it comes to homosexual sex, it's against what? Nature. Okay? That's a particular, a particular class of sinful act. It's against nature. Now, how do I end? Because I still have another page and I can't be there. Uh, Look at verse 28. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to what? Finally, this is the final third, giving them over. Giving them over to what? A debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Now, the not fitting, don't go back up to the homosexuality. The not fitting is verse 29 on. Being filled. In other words, totally controlled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, full of envy, murder, strife. I mean, go right on down through. Look at not only that, but look at verse 32. They're deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The, the debased, deprived, depraved mind is all those other sins. God rejects, God rejects, God rejects. God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And not only does, do they do it, but they hardly approve of those who do it. In other words, God gives humanity over to sin. And we do not even perceive even what is going on in our world properly. Let me give you one last question. Um, well, it's more of a statement. We even make a horrible mistake, as it were, when it comes to observing nature. We're going to cover this a little bit more next week. We think of the is as an ought. Like what is, that's how it ought to be. Now you could say that before the, before the, uh, the fall in, in Genesis 3. That what you saw is what ought to be. But in our world, you can't do that. So, 
What do you do with this one? Um, the fact that you have gay penguins in a zoo does not mean that homosexuality is normative. It means that the fall has affected penguins. That's all it means. See, the is is not the ought. Because we live in a broken... And by the way, I, I did do a little more research. It was funny how they think that part of this, the reason these two penguins, male penguins, are acting like this is for dominance. One is, dist, uh, one is, uh, is showing his dominance over the other male. But the other funny thing was this, is as these two ma uh, male penguins were doing this over here, when a female penguin was in heat, the male left to go to her. So in that sense, nature still rules. Okay, I don't know why I'm telling you that. But <laughs> okay, God gave them over. Now, just let me end here as we go to the communion table. I mean, when it says God gave them over to depraved mind, that is a door sh slamming shut. I mean, there is no hope. It is closed it is not going to be open except, except for the gospel. See, the door has been slammed shut. We can't open it. But what, but what did he start with this whole, the hope of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God to salvation. See, only the gospel can bring a dead, <laughs> blind, disobedient, unrighteous, Futile in their thinking. Heart was dark in person to, to God. Okay? See, there's all kinds of hope. That's his whole point. So it is not true that once God gives you over that you can't be saved. I've heard that. I've heard that said. Like once God gives you over, we were all given over. We were all the one in the futile in our thinking and our, our foolish hearts were dark. And we were all in that position. In fact, as we close, as we come to the table, let's go to Romans 8 real quick. Romans 8. Because I've got to leave you on a very, very positive note. Very, very... I mean, he already started in Romans 1 on a positive. Let me give you one final. And this is the rescue of the gospel. Look at Romans 8, verse 9. And if you ever have to deal with anybody that's a sinner, anybody, not homosexual, anybody that's a sinner, remember this. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God, what? Underline this, dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not, is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of, is life because of righteousness. Now catch verse 11. But if the Spirit of God, excuse me, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now I want you to think about it. Let me give you three observations. The first is this, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. First observation, Christ was dead. Now, when you think about death, it's final, isn't it? That's the end. You don't have anybody come along and say, oh, you're dead. I mean, unless it's Christ himself or his power, that's final. Christ was dead. Observation number two, Jesus was raised to life. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus... Now think about it. The Spirit of God is so powerful, He was able to raise Christ from the dead. He was dead. It was hopeless. The Spirit of God is so powerful that He can deal with even the hopelessness of death. Observation 3. The same Spirit who raised Christ to life is the one who dwells in the believer. And that's why He, he says dwell three times. He says it in verse uh, uh, 9. 
And then in verse 11, he says, the spirit who raised up Christ, uh, Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, what? Who dwells in you. What is he saying there? He, hey, sometimes when we look at sin, we think it's hopeless. Dead, darkened heart, no hope. The spirit, wait, the spirit. Christ was dead. Christ raised him from the death dead. And that same spirit works in you. What does that mean? That means that our, there is hope. <laughs> That's what it means. As we come to the table, what does that mean? Lord, first of all, if I need salvation, you have provided it through your sacrifice. Some of you may not be saved. You may be here and you're saying, you know, I've never received Christ. You can fall, uh, fall at the Lord's feet, as it were. You can confess your sin, return, uh, repent of your sin, and turn to Christ, and he will save you. Why? The same spirit that raised up Christ can be in you. But the other thing is this. For you who are believers, remember that as you deal with any particular sin. Just remember that. See, we've gone through a litany of sin. Sometimes we forget, oh, that's them. That's not them, that's us. If you're saved, it means that Christ rescued you from that damnation, that road to hell. So as we come here, we rejoice in what Christ has done. But I, I don't want you to miss, we also, recry, uh, 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 we, we also celebrate the victory that he gives. Has he given you victory? Now, again, sometimes we fall. Some of you perhaps have even fallen within the last seven days, two days, 24 hours, 5 hours, whatever. Just remember, he can forgive. It says in, in Corinthians, don't go before the table in an unworthy manner. Because of that, some of you sleep, or, or, or excuse me, some of you are weak, and some of you even sleep and sick. Okay, I mean, the point is there's judgment against you if you come before this table with a haphazard, unrepentant attitude, unrepentant sin. But if you come before him in a worthy manner, then, then you really need to also say, Lord, and I know that the power that raised you from the dead through the Spirit is in my life, and I can walk with you in newness of life. And therefore, when I come across a, another person who may be struggling with envy or worry, or maybe even struggling with sexual immorality, or maybe even struggling with homosexuality, or being a lesbian. There is hope for transformation and change. Why? Because the power that's in the Spirit also raised Christ from the dead. If you can raise the person from the dead, then he can transform a person that is stuck in sin. And to that we rejoice. Let's bow for prayer. Prepare your hearts and ushers come forward.